Good morning, Mercy House. Happy Mother's Day. We got any moms in the room? One mom, two moms, a few moms. Awesome. Well, if you didn't know, today is Mother's Day. Um, Robert is not here today. He is in Texas with his son, uh, Corey, who has just graduated from college, which is really exciting for them. Uh, But I get to be here and I get to give you the word. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to do so. My name is Tommy Moore. Uh, My wife, Caitlin, is no longer here. She's at home with our daughter, Chloe. Um, And uh, yeah, it's Mother's Day. See, Mother's Day, along with Father's Day, I think are two... um, holidays. This is a holiday, right? Father's Day, Mother's Day. They're holidays. Technically, it's a holiday. These are two holidays that can be pretty tricky uh, to be preaching on. The reason is because in this room, um, with the people that are in it, we've got a full range of um, the, the full spectrum of emotions right now when we talk about Mother's Day. We have people who are just filled with a tender love and appreciation for their moms and and the things that their moms have done for them in their lives. We have people who are intensely sorrowful today, whether they've lost their mother, the mother can't be here uh, to, to, to be with them today. We can have people who are intensely resentful toward their moms, uh, moms who have failed us in, in some way or always. Um, there could be a lot of frustration and exhaustion for mothers who are uh, single mothers, who, who bear this burden by themselves. So despite what Mother's Day, uh, the Mother's Day card section at CVS or Target would say, um, it, it's not all rosy. It's not all happy. And so on a day like today, <clears throat> it could be really tough for a lot of different people. And so I don't want us to overlook this fact. I want to encourage us as a church family um, to be able to be sensitive to this broken reality that we live in as we interact with one another. Um, But at the same time, I don't want us to forget this beautiful, this biblical, this this God-ordained role of motherhood that the women, some of the women in our church, um, just have been blessed to be able to live out as their calling in life. And so there, there's, there's kind of some things to dance around, but I just want you to know, you know, if it's not a super happy day for you, it's, it's okay. Um, I want us to be able to focus in on what Scripture would have to say about uh, motherhood and, and looking at it in a, a broader sense as opposed to what your specific instances uh, are. So not to diminish them, but to bring it here. So if you are a mom, can we have you stand up? I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Moms. Yes! All right. Yeah. Any grandmas in the room? Grandmothers? Yes, we've got a grandma. That's awesome. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm like, I know. It's been a long morning. This is the second service. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Anyway, so no great grandmas in the room, I'm assuming, right? My notes go there, but I guess we won't get there together. This morning, we're going to be going through a new sermon series, uh, not just this morning, but this entire summer. We're starting a new sermon series called Gifted. Oh, it's not up there. Uh, We have a graphic for it. Uh, There it is, Gifted. It's going to be the summer sermon series, and it's going to be uh, for the next 
I don't know how many weeks, I should have done the math, but during the whole summertime before the fall semester starts, uh, it's going to be looking at chapter 12 of Romans where Paul is laying out the spiritual gifts. So each week we're going to be looking at the gifts um, and, and the spiritual gifts. And if you're new to Christianity or you just don't know, when I, when I say spiritual gifts, I'm not really talking about a tangible like welcome basket that you get when you decide to follow Jesus, although you do get you know, some gifts from the church and things like that. But um, what we're talking about is this. Spiritual gifts are skills or abilities uh, that are given to us by God. They're powered by God with the purpose of growing the kingdom of God. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual gifts. Gifts, uh, I'm sorry, skills or abilities that are given to us by God, powered by God um, in order to grow the kingdom of God. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at what those gifts are in great detail. Um, we're going to be talking about how you can identify them in your own life, um, in the lives of your brothers and sisters as you live um, in community. And then we're also going to be looking at how they're used in culmination with one another um, together as one church body to grow God's kingdom here in the valley. So that's kind of the trajectory for the summer if you're going to be with us. Um, but today, this morning is Spiritual Gifts 101, right? This is like the basic course. Summer classes just started right now. And so a lot of times, if you've gone to college, been in school, the first class is never too exciting, right? You're like excited about things that are happening later on in the semester, but there is some groundwork that we need to lay out, and I'm excited about it, so I think you should be too. Um, before we all just dive in this, this semester, learning about the different giftings, there's some basic understanding uh, that we need. So my hope this morning um, that as we focus in on just two verses in the beginning of Romans chapter 12, that we would be able to see the healthy foundation upon which um, we as individuals and collectively as a church are meant to pursue spiritual gifts. Um, we, we've kind of got to adjust our mirrors and, and check our blind spots, right, and, and, and adjust our seat before we can actually get on the highway, if that makes sense. That's my metaphor I want to use. So that's where we're at this morning. Um, let me pray for us real quick, and then, and then we're going to jump right into the text. God, thank you so much for um, a beautiful day. Um, thank you for the moms that are in our lives. Thank you for um, their example of sacrificial um, selflessness um, in, in the way that they've raised us or the people around us, God. I pray this morning that, that you would um, be healing hearts, God, that, that might be hurting or broken on a day like today. God, I pray that you would reveal your word to us, um, that you would show, show us what it is to, to live um, as living sacrifices for you. Yeah, God, we pray this in your powerful name. Amen. <clears throat> so open your Bibles with me if they're not open. Um, so as you turn to chapter 12, I want to point out the fact that Paul, um, he's a church planter who by, at this point, he, he's planted several churches that span a, a pretty significant distance throughout Asia and Europe. Um, and one of the unique things that we get to see by having so many of Paul's letters in front of us um, within the Bible is we get to see the love for each of the churches that he planted. That's what we see when we read all these letters. Paul wasn't a quantity over quality guy. He wasn't about spreading Christianity a mile wide, but being satisfied if it were just an inch thick, right? He's not just a church planter, he's a church pastor. So when you read Paul's letters to the different churches in Ephesus and Colossae and, and Philippi and then here in Rome, it's very obvious that, that Paul is not just faxing them a copy of the bylaws and a church membership booklet to try to figure out how to do church and how to do life. What he's doing is that he's investing serious amounts of prayer, 
time and emotion in making sure that each church gets personally pastored through specifically the, the areas of life that they're wrestling through um, and the place of faith that they're at. And that's what's awesome about reading the books um, of the Bible in the New Testament, the letters from Paul, is that all the churches, they're at different places. They're, they're dealing with different things, and, and, and Paul is addressing specific instances of challenges that, that, that each of the churches are going through. And so here, in, in Paul's pastoral letter to the Romans, in chapter 12, Paul is spending a significant amount of time addressing spiritual gifts. That's what we're focusing in on here. Um, but also... As a pastor, he, he doesn't just bark out the gifts as if they were roles or duties that people in the church need to fulfill, and then, and then he moves on to the next section. He takes great care in beginning this section, and as we look at it, I want to focus on how he actually frames the whole conversation on spiritual gifts. So this text, right, these two verses are very popular, but they precede a larger section on spiritual gifts, so don't, I, I want us to look at it in that context, not just these two verses by themselves. It's how, uh, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Right, Got it? Yeah. So this is how he frames the conversation on the spiritual gifts. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul here is trying to urge his church, he's trying to persuade his church that the way that you worship God is to be living sacrifices, motivated by the mercies of God that they've experienced in their lives. All right, are you following me there? That's, I've just pretty much reiterated what Paul said. I said that this morning is spiritual gifts 101, but this thought, this, this truth on how to worship God is, is a relatively advanced one right? What I mean by that is that the gospel message of salvation for those who don't know Christ um, it is relatively simple, but, but many of us know, if you are a believer, that your walk doesn't stop as soon as you come out of the water at your baptism. So in many ways, your, your new life actually begins as you emerge out of that cold water at Puffer's Pond, if you were baptized there last week. And so the conversations and the prayers and the laboring which brings you to that point of conversion and commitment to Christ at your baptism, they continue. The conversations and the prayer continue, but, but they get deeper. As we mature in Christ, as we walk in new life that we have in Christ, we start discovering the complex implications of having a belief in relatively simple truths. Does that make sense? Right? We shift away from basic questions like, what do I need to believe in order to be a follower of Christ? To, okay, how does this belief in Christ then impact all of the other facets of my life? Do you guys see how it gets a little bit more complicated as you mature in Christ? Paul is pastoring a church that is maturing and growing, right? And so like a nurturing child, he, he's no longer feeding them milk, but he's moving on to solid foods, and one of the pieces of hearty food in the Christian diet, not just for Rome uh, or the Romans, but for all of us, that we'll chew on for the rest of our existence is the idea of worshiping God. Worshiping God. Paul um, here is going to start talking about what it means to worship God, which is not necessarily something that you are introducing to a person who is a non-Christian. So it's not one of the basic tenets of being a Christian at the very beginning when they're just asking about the gospel and what Jesus has done on the cross. But as they become a Christian, then the question is, okay, now what do I do? Well, you worship 
God. Okay, what does that look like? What does it mean to worship God? See, for us, when, when we use the word worship in modern, modern culture, um, I think the immediate image that comes to mind is like of a person bowing down, right? This is like a universal symbol for worshiping someone, right? You see this in sports, you see this in pop culture when someone's doing awesome, right? It's, it's almost like a jesting, like, oh my gosh, you're so good, right? This is even that song we're talking about, bowing down, bowing down. Well, but what Paul says um, that our spiritual act of worship is, is offering all of ourselves, not just moving our hands or maybe moving our, our lips to say that we bow down, uh, but to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Living sacrifices. So what is Paul talking about? It's really important here to note that Paul, he's talking about uh, this broad sense of worshiping God. Um, there are instances in the New Testament, as we read, where Paul describes more narrow and specific duties of what worshiping God looks like, uh, which is going to include adoring God and praising God, um, which is what we do in worship through song. But here, Paul is talking about worshiping God in a broad sense. What does it look like on, on kind of a meta level to worship God? This phrase, living sacrifice, um, it's not a common one. Um, it's not an idiom that the Romans would have understood, but that's flying over our heads today. The pagans and Jews during this time period, um, they would have understood the purpose of sacrifice in, in culture and in religion. Uh, but Paul is using it in, in a pretty unique way that would have left them a little bit jarred as he's saying these words. See, for them, sacrificial offerings, um, at this time, they're made to atone for sin and to please God. Uh, that was the role and purpose of sacrifices, and, and they would have understood this. Um, it was a tradition that, that was very costly, since the animals that were being sacrificed are, are pretty much the livelihood of whoever is making the sacrifice. It's a, it's a piece of their property, um, a, a piece of, of, of what they own and possess in the world. And so in that process of sacrifice, they're taking that and submitting it to God. And so traditionally, um, this tangible sacrifice, right, this tangible animal is being given to God and it's being received by God as an act of worship. So for us, how do we translate that to today? Because I don't think anyone here is sacrificing animals, right? That's a little scary that no one is saying no. No, right? No, hopefully not. You're not sacrificing animals. So how do we make sense of this today? Well, it's similar to, but not the same as, um, the idea of tithing to God. So tithing is giving a portion of your income back to God. When we tithe, it's about more than just a financial transaction. It ought to be more than just a financial transaction. In the process of tithing, there is a submission to God um, as more important than our own financial security. So that's happening during tithing. There's a dependence and trust in God um, that's being exercised. And then there, there is a tangible sacrifice of a worldly comfort, of a personal possession being given away from ourselves. So that's all what's happening when we tithe. And so I think the idea of tithing is as close to, I think, to what the Romans would have understood as, as making sacrificial offerings to God. You guys with me there? What Paul is saying, right, if we use this metaphor or use this um, in context of what we understand, Paul is saying that when that tithe basket comes around, um, you can worship God not just by putting in a, a portion of your paycheck, but by putting your entire self into that tithe basket. That's what Paul is saying here. Instead of just offering up a tangible possession to sacrifice to God, like, like a goat um, or a piece of your paycheck, Paul is, is really encouraging 
his church at this point um, to be giving, to be, to be urging the members of his church to offer up themselves, their, their entire being in worship to God. So this is a radical thought at that time, and it should be right now. It's a radical thought because it really gets to what the heart of worship is. And so a couple of things that I want to point out here. One is that Paul appeals to the people at the church. He's, he's urging them. He's, he's strongly encouraging them to do this, which means that this idea is not a given, nor is it necessarily a command, right? It's somewhere in between. It's something that the Romans have to learn. They have to comprehend it and understand it, and then they have to choose to do it. Right? This is not a simple thing where it's like, okay, naturally what you're going to do is you're going to start being a living sacrifice. No, Paul is saying, I, I, I urge you, I appeal to you, please, to be living sacrifices, which tells us something about what he's calling us to do. It's something that we have to understand, we have to consciously choose to do. The second thing is, is that um, a living sacrifice that's brought to the altar, um, it has to be brought there alive, right? which means that there's a willingness and a consciousness of said sacrifice walking itself to the altar. Now, the crazy thing is, is that the living sacrifice then stays alive. And so the challenge with the living sacrifice is that it can get off of the altar at any given time. The radical idea here is, is, is radical because it implies that we, we have to, we consciously and willingly choose to offer ourselves up as a sacrifice on the altar, but then we continue living and staying on the altar as a sacrifice day in and day out. Right? This, is a, this is a hard thing that God is calling us to. This idea of, of whole life living sacrificial worship, it's radical, um, but it's not unheard of. So we just finished our week-long month, our month-long series uh, on, on Easter, right? We did Easter leading up to Easter, and then we spent an entire month um, continuing to celebrate Easter. So I think that us as a church, we can, we can think of somebody who has consciously and willingly offered himself up as a living sacrifice and worship to God, right? Right? Jesus! Yeah! It was Jesus, right? So that's our example that we get to look to. Paul here, as he's talking about sacrifice, um, he's describing a, a mindset when he's talking about worship. He's not prescribing an action. So he's not saying, okay, everybody jump into the tithing basket, right? Um, he's describing a mindset. And, and this metaphor, um, it's meant to challenge us to see that worship doesn't just start in the hand, what you do, right, in, in, in with your actions and the things that, that you have, um, but it starts within your heart. It's showing us that, that God cares a lot more um, about the motivation behind what you're doing than, than, than what you're doing. And we see this throughout Scripture as he cares about the heart of man and not just the actions of man. And so Paul is saying that worship, even, even as we tithe, um, it means that there's a complete surrender and offering of ourselves wholly to God. And yes, the, the tithe might only be a tenth of your income, but what it should represent if we're doing it in a healthy, like whole life sacrificial way is that it represents a willingness to surrender the other nine tenths as well, right? We give one tenth to show that we will give the whole thing up to God, that it's all his regardless, Paul is calling, and uh, he's, he's calling his maturing church in Rome to, to just a deeper faith, 
um, a deeper place of following Christ. And I think for us, he's, he's calling us to this as well, to this reality that, that worshiping God isn't just limited to what happens between 11.15 a.m. And, and, and 12.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning or during our small group times in the middle of the week or, or just during our devotional time each morning that we set aside to read and pray or, or when we write that tithe check or show up early to practice. Paul is explaining that true worship is not sacrificing these little parts of our lives here and there, but by sacrificing every inch every single breath, every dollar, every second of our lives to God. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice on the altar every single day. And that's what worshiping God looks like. So this is a hard calling, right? This is is not like an easy thing to do. Um, And it can be pretty difficult and challenging to understand understand of how it actually plays out in our lives. Um, So how does one live selflessly and sacrificially? Um, What does it look like to live a selfless life of constantly dying to themselves, um, yet waking up each day to do it again? I think this text is wildly appropriate for Mother's Day. Don't you agree? So in all my wife, Caitlin's not here right now, but I'm going to talk about her and assume that she's sitting right there. Um, In all my life, I've never seen in person a display of selfless, sacrificial living um, as significant and and consistent um, as in Caitlin, the mother of my daughter. Uh, And I'm not dressing this up. I am pretty biased because Caitlin is my wife and I see her every day and I don't see other moms in action. But um, as I watch other, I know that there are other examples when we look through history of very heroic people. Caitlin, I just watched Hacksaw Ridge, right? Story of an extremely brave Medal of Honor recipient. Um, so there are lots of examples of heroism and bravery and sacrifice. But what, I, what I'm talking about is what I've seen with my own eyes in this life, right? Not just on the big screen or reading in a book, but what I have seen, I, I have seen in Caitlin as a mother, um, the inspiration for me for what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. And and I'm going to explain this. It's not just Caitlin. It's all of the other mothers. So the moms that have stood up in the room, you can picture a mother in your brain, right? Whether it's your mom or someone else that you've seen fill the role of mother in a a good way. Picture that person, right? I'm going to give you five reasons why I think moms in their motherhood exemplify the idea of selfless sacrifice. So one, moms love and serve when it's hard to do so. They love and they serve when it's hard to do so. So if you're a kid and you're wondering, are there times where I am hard to love? The answer is yes, right? There are times when a kid is hard to love. And sometimes it's not the kid. Sometimes it's just the situation or or the parents um, or the mother, which makes it difficult to love. Um, I, I think back to times when Chloe was, was a baby. She didn't know how to sleep. You know what's crazy? You have to teach babies how to sleep. You have to teach them how to sleep, which blew my mind. I didn't know that. I learned that the hard way. So, you know, we're talking four to five nights into her not sleeping through the night. She'll sleep for like 45 minutes at a time and then be up for like an hour and a half. Like, it is, it is literally sleep torture. Like, the CIA uses sleep torture to get information from you, and we were experiencing it. And, and, and there were times when we got to this breaking point. It would be like 3 a.m., day five of no sleep. And Chloe's been asleep for 45 minutes, and you're like at that cusp of sleeping, and you're like about to fall asleep, and then you hear the baby cry. And at that moment, you just like, you, you cry. I don't know how else to explain it. 
right? There's not like, you don't, you're, you're, you can't respond in anger, right? You're not like, like you don't have enough emotion and energy to be angry. You're just, you're just sad. And, and there's this like, you like shake your head and there's no words and you're just like, and tears are coming down, and, but you're not consciously crying. It's like, a, it's like a visceral response to the situation. It's like the edge of lunacy. It's like when you're about to go, I think like when people go crazy, like they cross over this plane of like, I, 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 and, and so Caitlin, I've seen many a time been at that place of just the edge of lunacy. And I've seen her pray, get up out of bed, and go rock Chloe to sleep for 45 minutes. She shows selfless, sacrificial love when she loves our child when it's hard to do so. Not because of the kid, right? She's a baby. She doesn't know better. But it's in her choosing to do so that is selfless and sacrificial. Number two, uh, moms love and serve when there's no recognition um, or credit, which is most of the time. So I do my best to honor and recognize my wife for just being a phenomenal mother, but there's no way that I could adequately commend or reward her um, for each moment of sacrifice that she makes. Um, And that's okay because as a mother, Caitlin doesn't love our daughter Chloe uh, for the reward or the recognition of doing so. No mother who loves their child does this. But that's why it exemplifies selfless sacrifice because many times, um, maybe all of the time, um, there's nothing in it for them, right? Um, they, they don't get a paycheck. They don't get accolades. They, they do it because they love their children, not for the recognition. Three, uh, moms love and serve when it means having to give up something. So whether it be a dream, a career, a hobby, or just like that 15 minutes of time for themselves so that they don't go crazy, right? They are willing to give those things up. They, they exemplify selfless sacrifice simply in their willingness to place huge parts and little parts of their lives on the altar of motherhood for the sake of their children and their families. Number four, moms, um, they love and they serve joyfully and without grumbling. And so let me clarify, there's a difference between venting and fuming, okay? Venting and fuming. It's okay to communicate uh, that being a mom is especially hard one day, right? So I'm not saying that that's a a bad thing. Uh, But moms exemplify selfless sacrifice by loving and serving their children when it's hard, without recognition, while giving up parts of their lives and doing all of that without harboring a bitterness and a resentment towards their children and their families. That is selfless sacrifice. Caitlin um, will definitely tell me if if a day is exceptionally difficult. She will send me a text. She'll ask for a prayer. She'll call me crying. Um, But after that venting, after we give that to God in prayer, she doesn't continue grumbling about it. She's not muttering under her breath like, oh, stupid daughter, right? Like, she would never say that. But what that communicates to me is that she's not keeping score of um, between her, me, and Chloe. She's not like, oh, you didn't have to do this, or Chloe, I can't believe this whole day was, like, she's not keeping track of all of the challenges that she's facing. She's not harboring all of those bad experiences, those challenging experiences, um, and, and then resenting being a mother as she's being a mother, right? It's okay that it's hard. It's okay that you have super challenging days, um, and, and even though it, it would be just so natural or maybe even fair to continue grumbling because it's not, being a mom is not about being, uh, like, living a fair life. It's not fair. 
But moms exemplify selfless sacrifice um, when they don't let those challenges and experience of a mom affect their overall disposition toward their children and their families. Are you guys following me there? <laughs> Lastly, um, moms show selfless sacrifice simply by waking up the next day and doing all of this over again. In the last 19 months, um, Caitlin, which is the duration of how long she's been a mom, uh, Caitlin has not taken a single day off of being a mom. There is no day when she's like, Tommy, you know, I'm not going to do it today. I'm just not going to. No, she, she never did. And there were lots of mornings where I'm like, I wonder if she's going to say that to me this morning because it would be a super hard night or a series of events. But each morning she would wake up and take a deep breath, give a quick prayer to God, and then start being a mom or continue being a mom. She submitted herself um, as a living sacrifice and, and consciously chose each morning to get back on that altar, to stay on that altar of motherhood, um, despite how incredibly difficult and painful it was at times to do so. See, motherhood, as we look at it, um, if we can take ourselves out of just our personal experiences, whether it be hurtful or just broken experiences of motherhood, when we take a step back at, at the design of motherhood, it is a beautiful display of the gospel. And in my instance, I've been so blessed to be able to actually see um, a healthy version of it, a, a godly form of it, to the point where I get to see Christ every single day as my wife uh, lives out her faith in being a mother. And it, it's, for me, it's a blessing and, and it's an honor to do that. So moms, I'm speaking to the moms in the room. Your role is a significant role. Um, I know that you know this, right? Moms know that, like, yeah, it's a big deal that I'm a mom. But, like, I want to reiterate the fact that your role as mother is significant. By, by being a living sacrifice for your children, you, you help people like me, like people around you see um, what it means for Christ to have died for me. So what I mean is you proclaim to the world such a crucial aspect to the gospel, um, which is that it's not all about you. Right? It's not about what you want. It's not about what you can have. It's not about what's comfortable. It's not about what is glamorous or looks pretty. You get to be Christ to your children. You get to be the, the warm embrace. You get to be his embrace when you hug your kids. You get to be his shoulder that they cry on. You get to be his nurturing, his caring, his compassionate presence incarnate for your children. That's a huge deal. And, like, and I don't want to diminish the fact that we all get to do that for other people, but this is just a special role for moms and their children that, that is very unique. And so um, don't take this opportunity lightly, moms, um, and don't diminish this divine calling that God has on your life. So for the rest, for, for us, right, people who aren't moms, Let's use that example, right, to spur us on in our own walks with God. Um, God calls all of us, not just moms, uh, to all be living sacrifices, and not just toward children in parenthood, though that is an image of it, uh, but in all aspects of our life. But how do we do this? How, how could we possibly muster up enough energy and motivation uh, to live selflessly and sacrificially each and every single day? How, how do, where, what is the reserve in which we pull this from? And Paul says in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the, what does it say there? 
by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The calling to present ourselves as living sacrifices is only possible when we're able to experience the, the personal effects of Christ's sacrifice for us. In light of the mercies that, that God has shown us in our lives, in light of what Christ has done for us, um, in light of the redemptive work on the cross by Jesus for us, in light of all of those things, then we're able to have reason and motivation to then present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Not only that, but we have the ability to do so because of the mercies of God. Um, those who do not or have not experienced the mercies of God, who, who have not put their faith and their trust in the redemptive work of, of, of Jesus on the cross, um, cannot be considered where it says holy and acceptable before God. That only happens um, when we place our trust and our hope in the redemptive work of Christ which we've been spending the entire last semester looking at. So not only is it giving us the energy and the motivation and desire to do so, um, it actually allows us and empowers us. It gives us the ability to do so as well. So you guys track in there, what makes us holy and acceptable um, is not us presenting ourselves as living sacrifices, uh, but what the sacrifice of Christ has already done and made for us. That's what makes us um, acceptable and holy before God. So we're called to offer ourselves as sacrifice because we have experienced um, God's sacrifice for us. So you guys tracking there? I said sacrifice like 25 times there, but God shows his sacrifice, makes his sacrifice for us. We experience it, and then we are able to, to go then and then be sacrifices. That's the simple imagery that's happening here. Step one of being able to worship God by offering our lives as living sacrifices is to be able to personally experience the grace of God in the gospel ourselves. If, if you're not there, if you're at a place where you haven't received the grace of the gospel, you are not called to be a living sacrifice for anybody else. It doesn't work that way. And that's not how faith works. But for those of us who have experienced the grace of God, this is for, for you to hear. This is for you to live out in your own life. Okay, so we experience the sacrifice. Uh, we're called to live out a similar sacrifice each day. But how do we get there? Because that, that can seem like two very different worlds apart um, for us. If you're like me, it's kind of difficult to connect the dots. But I'm glad there's verse 2. Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So offering ourselves up as a living sacrifice each day, um, it's not a natural inclination, right? Um, it's not going to be natural for you to wake up and just be drawn to the idea of like, oh, I'm going to be a living sacrifice today. Maybe by the grace of God, but I'm saying in your, in your flesh, there is nothing that pulls you toward wanting to be a sacrifice the entire day, every single day. It's not the gospel of this broken world that we live in. So our culture would tell us that we want to run toward things that feel good. Um, the culture puts us at the center of our world, but being a living sacrifice is the opposite of those two. It's uncomfortable, and it, it doesn't make us the center of the world. 
The world uh, would support the idea of making sacrifices, but really only if it advances us in some way. So it's like you, you make sacrifices, but then you like end up ahead at the end. This is completely different. God is saying uh, he's calling us to sacrifice for his purposes and his glory, not our own. But Paul is saying if you want to worship God, the first step um, is to offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. But then step two is to seek transformation and, and avoid conformity to the world. So let me connect these dots. Paul knows that there is a distinction between the gospel of Christ and then the gospel of the world that we live in. And he knows that these two um, aren't one and the same um, or even traveling in the same direction if you were to look at them as paths. So he's warning the church at Rome that if they want to worship God, um, that, in, that, that it's going to call them and their lives in this direction um, while the world would, would be calling them to be living life in this direction, right? So we've got two separate paths, And I love the language Paul uses because it's beautifully intentional here. He says, do not be conformed to the world, um, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So let's break this down. Um, To conform is to change our actions or our behaviors to match or look like something else, right? That's what it looks like to conform to something. You you adjust, you make changes, and then you look like that's something that you are conforming to. But to be transformed is to have the essence and nature of who we are completely changed. That's different than conforming. Transformation is is a complete reconstruction of who you are. Um, And what this means is that for those of us who are in Christ, there's no untransforming or changing back. Um, You can't untransform out of being redeemed by Christ. Uh, you, You can maybe conform, um, you can maybe change some actions to appear like the broken world around you, but, but that's not who you are anymore. So people who emerged out of Puffer's Pond, um, they might, what, what people would say, drift, right? They drift away from the calling that God has on their life. But, but that transformation already happened, and it was once and done for them. And so this should give us incredible peace and encouragement as believers, that though we might sometimes drift away from the life that God is calling us to, and and Robert always talks about this, our focus gets shifted, and then we need to snap back, right? Our focus might drift over here, and then we need to snap back. If that happens, um, and, and we slowly conform to the world around us, it's not transforming us. Does that make sense? It's not changing our essence or our salvation, But what Paul is calling us to as believers, um, instead of living in the world and conforming and changing ourselves to the world, is to be further transformed into the gospel version of ourselves, to transform into who we are in Christ, which is a reconstruction of who we are, not just a putting on of a top hat or or whatever you're trying to conform to. So why would this be where Paul starts the conversation about spiritual gifts? It seems a little weird. The reason is because spiritual gifts to be used in the most effective, most life-giving way, they have to be used in a place of self-sacrifice, selfless sacrifice, um, and on the trajectory of gospel transformation. That is the, the healthy bedrock on which we are to pursue spiritual gifts as individuals and collectively as a church. When spiritual gifts um, are pursued for selfish reasons and in a worldly way, ugly things happen. Not only for the person trying to practice and pursue the gifts, but for the people around them 
as well. And I don't want to be that Debbie Downer, um, but it's, it's just the sober reality of things and a clear warning that I want to make for us as a church um, moving forward and seeking spiritual gifts. Self-seeking, worldly ambition-driven, spiritual gift pursuers, if you're in that place, um, you can wreak havoc in a community of believers. And I've seen it happen firsthand. But thanks to God, we have some awesome elders and pastors here who, like Paul, um, are here to guard our church from things like the happening. Um, And we have Jesus as the head of our body as a church. So I don't want us to be scared, but I want us to understand the implications of going about this in an unhealthy way. So let me leave you with this. Um, I just described kind of the broken path of pursuing uh, gifts, but Paul has a hope for the church at Rome. And we also should have a hope for our church here in Amherst. Um, Paul is painting a picture of how it ought to look, coming from a place of self-sacrifice, gospel trajectory, gospel transformation trajectory in our own lives. When we first, uh, at first, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice in worship um, and then striving for that gospel transformation and not worldly conformity, when that is the foundation for our pursuit of spiritual gifts, um, that is a force to be reckoned with is a force to be reckoned with. And what I mean by that is when you read through the book of Acts, when you look at history, gospel living, including um, the spiritual gifts being played out in gospel living, when you see communities of people doing that, the, the world changed around those communities. And I believe this is what Jesus was talking about in John 14, 12, where he says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and, and greater works than these he will do. In Matthew 16, 18, it says that the gates of hell will not prevail. That verse is talking about like a storming of hell, going into hell, right? It means that the gates of hell are not, it's not like they're advancing in on this and we need to like hold them back. There is an an offensive push of the gospel into the darkest reaches of the world. And so when a community of believers dedicates their lives to being living sacrifices for God, utilizing supernatural spiritual gifts that God has given us to be equipped with, radical things happen. The world gets changed, and and God's kingdom is made here on earth as it is in heaven. Mercy House, that's our goal. (laughs) That's our hope. That's our prayer. That's our anticipation for the valley that we live in. This is not a refuge for two hours on a Sunday morning where you get to just protect yourselves from the world. This isn't a a place where you are equipped to go. And in the valley, our hope would be transformed in that process. Are you guys with me? Are you excited? This should be an exciting text. And so, you know, as we move forward looking at the spiritual gifts um, this summer, it's, it is an equipping of our church. Um, when done in a place of selflessness, of self, self-sacrificial living, um, and wanting to be transformed more and more into Christ, and then being weapons, uh, given, given tools and weapons to, to fight against the darkness around us, I mean, that's, that's like pretty epic, right? That's like cinematic. And so for us, that's what we are called to. So this morning, we're going to take some time to do communion. Um, if you've never done communion with us before, we create two lines, and you're going to come down, and we're going to have some people um, handing you um, some of the matzah um, and the juice, and you're going to circle back around to your seats and do it at your own time. The only way that we can live as 
a living sacrifice um, for God and for those around us is to be able to remember and experience the sacrifice that God has made for us. This is not a calling for you to, to just dig deeper and just, and just like white knuckle through trying to serve and love the people around you. So that's for moms, uh, but it's also for anyone else in this room. As you're called to be a living sacrifice, it has to start here. So regardless of where you've been this week or where you're planning to be in the next week, the moment is right here for you to remember this sacrifice, the, the greatest moment in all of history when Christ's body was broken for us. So I want to challenge you, um, as you're taking your communion, um, I'm a person who likes action plans. I like to figure out like, what to do next. My challenge would be to sit, to meditate, and, and think upon the sacrifice and the mercies of God that you've experienced. It's only in that place that we're able to, to go and do anything um, for the kingdom of God. So let me pray for us this morning. God, we thank you that you have made the greatest sacrifice for us. We thank you that we have the opportunity to return to it at any time, that you are the person who overflows and overfills um, our hearts with love and compassion and a willingness to serve and and the energy to do so, God. I pray that that we would be pulling from your stores, God, not from our own. Um, God, I pray that we would see this command to to live as selfless sacrifices, as, as an encouraging one, God. We thank you that you call us to be on mission with you. God, I pray that we would not be satisfied in having faith that is only an inch deep, but I, I thank you that you continue to call us us deeper and deeper and deeper into faith. God, would, would we get more of you as we sacrifice more of ourselves, God? We love you. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.